0: Good morning, friends, and happy Easter. I'm not in uh, my regular places this morning in Missouri. Instead, I'm just back from a week teaching at Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola and uh, am visiting family right now in North Richland Hills, Texas. My message today may not seem like a typical Easter morning message, but I assure you that it is connected to Easter. I'm calling this the Rising of the Rejected Stone. And the scripture references are Acts chapter 4, 8 to 12, and 1 Peter 2, verse 4. Now what I'm going to do this morning is actually jump to a few weeks after Easter where Peter and John were on their way to the temple. And here they met a crippled man who asked them for money. Peter replied with these famous words, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. The man stood up completely healed and began walking and leaping and praising God. When a crowd gathered, Peter preached the gospel to them, challenging them to repent of their sins and turn to Jesus for salvation. Now, when the rulers of the Jews heard about all of this, they had Peter and John arrested and held overnight. Acts 4.2 tells us that the rulers were disturbed because the apostles were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. No doubt this refers in part to the fact that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead in any sense, But they were also incensed with the claim that Jesus himself had risen from the dead. And such dangerous teaching could not be ignored. This illustrates my point that some people have always hated the Easter message because it threatens their belief system. The very idea that someone could come back from the dead flies in the face of their self-professed knowledge of the universe. So the next day, Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of ancient Israel, This group of 70 men had, under Rome's ultimate authority, the power to enforce Jewish law, to try cases, and to settle disputes. Acts 4.7 tells us the Sanhedrin asked these two apostles a very lean question. By what power, or what name, did you do this? Boy, what a question. And at that moment, he kind of kicked off the Christian movement. I mean, think of what this means. This is the first recorded persecution of the Christian era. Since then, millions of Christians have suffered and died for their faith. We know that on this very day in Muslim and Hindu countries, many Christians cannot worship freely or openly. We also know that Christians are being put to death in Sudan and in other countries where militant Muslims hold sway. And it is an undisputed fact that during the years of communist tyranny, many believers spent years behind bars for nothing more than preaching the gospel. So, what will Peter do? I think he had probably three choices. He could apologize for making trouble, but there's no way he's going to do that. He could say nothing and hope for the best, but Peter never said nothing in his whole life. Or third, he could seize the moment to preach the gospel, which is exactly what he does. He may have remembered these words of Jesus in Matthew 10, verses 18 and 19. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. So Peter certainly wasn't going to back down. After all, he's got the entire leadership of Israel right in front of him. Now, if the early church had hired a PR firm, they couldn't have rounded up a crowd like that. Money couldn't buy this kind of audience. It was like having the president... Cabinet, Congress, and the Supreme Court sitting at your feet, waiting for you to talk. To these men who think he's a dangerous troublemaker, Peter stands up and preaches Jesus. No compromise, no hesitation, no apologies of any kind. What he says doesn't last very long, only five verses in Acts chapter 4. But these five verses contain amazing truth. Now in these verses we learn exactly who Jesus is. First we learn that he is the rejected stone. Peter answers the basic question in verse 10, who did this? Well, answer, Jesus did. He could have stopped there, but he didn't. He continues his answer in verse 11, knowing that he might never have a chance like this again. He says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Now, in these two verses, Peter says four things to the Jewish leaders. One, you crucified Jesus, that's literally true. God raised him from the dead, also true. His power healed the lame man, also true. And you rejected God's stone of salvation, also true. Now verse 11 is a quotation from Psalm 118, verse 22, which speaks of rejected stone becoming the capstone or cornerstone. Jesus himself used this same scripture when he gave the parable of the landowner a few days before his crucifixion in Matthew 21. The image comes from the ancient quarries where highly trained stonemasons carefully chose the stones used in construction. No stone was more important than the cornerstone because the integrity of the whole structure depended on the cornerstone containing exactly the right lines. If the cornerstone was not exactly right, the entire building would be out of line. For that reason, builders inspected many stones, rejecting each one until they found the one they wanted. Rejected stones might be used in other parts of the building, but they would never become the cornerstone or the capstone, that's the first and the last stones put in place. Peter is saying that Jesus is the rejected stone whom God made to be the cornerstone of salvation, and they, the Jewish leaders, rejected him, but God not only accepted him, but put him in the position of highest honor. Now here's the shock of it all. These men, who should have known better, didn't recognize him for who he was. They made an appalling mistake that became an eternal catastrophe. To reject Jesus means that you have rejected God's cornerstone. And since the cornerstone is the foundation, anything you build upon the wrong foundation will itself also be wrong. So let me be clear, it's not enough to say Jesus was a good man or a fine teacher or an excellent leader, but not the Son of God. If he isn't who he said he was, then nothing he said can be trusted. And not only is Jesus the rejected stone, he's also the living stone. In verse 10, Peter plainly says, You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. Now, how could the name of Jesus heal the crippled, crippled man? It happened because Jesus rose from the dead. He's the living stone of eternal salvation. Now, I don't think Peter ever forgot the moment when he stood in front of the rulers of Israel. It must have made a huge impression on him because many years later when he wrote the letter we call First Peter, He described Jesus as the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. So here we have two images joined together, Jesus the stone and Jesus the source of life. And when those two come together, what do you get? You get a living stone. Billy Graham often said it this way, A dead Jesus can't save anyone, but a living Christ can change your life. Hebrews 2:14 and 15 tells us that Jesus came to free those who were enslaved to the devil through the fear of death. On Friday, it looked like the devil won, but on Easter Sunday, Jesus won the only battle that really mattered. See, the resurrection tells us how it's all going to end for the child of God. And I'll be honest with you, I've read to the end of this book called the Bible, and we win. It's true. We win in the end, and knowing the ending helps us deal with what comes in between. Easter teaches us that when the battle of the ages finally comes to the end, the home team wins. The future may not be pleasant, but we'll overcome if our faith is in the one who rose from the dead. That's what it means to call Jesus the living stone. It gives us courage to face our own death. And finally, Jesus, the rejected stone, became the living stone, who is now the cornerstone. The New International Version rendering of Acts 4.11 uses the word capstone, but includes cornerstone as a possible rendering. That's because the Greek word can be translated both ways. Both are perfectly true when applied to Jesus. Just as the cornerstone was the first stone laid, and thus determined the placement of every other stone, the capstone came last and was placed at the top of the arch, thus holding every other stone in perfect alignment. God has made Jesus the cornerstone and the capstone of salvation. Everything begins and ends with him. And if you miss Jesus, you've missed everything God has for you. And now we come to the end of Peter's brief message before the Sanhedrin. He says in verse 12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. These words sound strange and harsh in this age of tolerance, diversity, and political correctness. And surely Peter didn't mean what he said, did he? Well, you can underline two phrases in verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else because there is no other name by which we must be saved. That means you can't cry out to anyone else and have any hope of salvation. Not Buddha, not Confucius, not Krishna, not Muhammad, not anyone else but Jesus. It is Jesus only and only Jesus. He is the only Savior God has and only through faith in him can you escape hell. Let every person hearing these words ponder the following statements. You cannot reject Jesus and have any hope of heaven. You cannot look at any other religious leader for salvation. You cannot combine Jesus with anyone else or anything else. You are not free to make up your own religion. You cannot save yourself. In short, friends, you must come to God on his terms, not yours. These words are utterly exclusive and mean exactly what they say. There's no middle ground when it comes to Jesus. So here is the Easter message reduced to one sentence. He was rejected. He rose from the dead. God made him the cornerstone of salvation. The time has come for you to decide one way or the other. Who is Jesus to you? Rejected stone or the cornerstone? Whose side are you on? With those who crucified him or with those who follow him? A cartoon from the Wall Street Journal shows a man walking up a set of stairs toward the gate of heaven. Above the gate is a sign with two words, No Deals. Well, this time the Wall Street Journal actually got it right. God makes no deals when it comes to heaven. You either enter by the way of the cross, or you don't enter at all. It is sometimes said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. By the same token, the road to heaven is paved with the blood of Jesus. So which road are you traveling? Now, I began this message by noting that not everyone shares our Easter joy. But what about you? Do not be like the builders who rejected God's stone of salvation. Do not reject Jesus the Messiah. Do not stumble over this rejected stone. Friends, the very stone the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. May God open your eyes to see Jesus as he really is the cornerstone of eternal salvation. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.